Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So if you ever come over to our house and in the kind of way into our basement, you end up popping your head into my son Caden's room, what you will find on his wall in his room is five cars that look like this. Anybody ever seen these before? Like Lego, Technikit, they're super cool. So three years ago, we discovered that like the best way to love Caden was for Christmas or birthday. So twice a year, we would buy him one of these Technikits. I would give him like a big body armor and a bag of gummy bears. And on some night where like he didn't have school the next day, I would just look at him and give him full permission. Like, dude, go to your room, start working on your car and go to bed whenever you want. And literally the way that he would spend his evening, he'd go into his room, he'd turn on his Bluetooth speaker, put on some music, and I could hear it going on all night long. And eventually he would just like pass out. I don't know, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'm I'm not a great parent, so don't use me as an example, but um, because he's he's 12. So, um, but but he'll do that and he'll do that a couple nights often in a row because to put that together, a a, a kit like that is somewhere around a thousand pieces will take him about eight to 10 hours couple of nights work to put that, that whole thing together. It's pretty cool. But I, I bring that up because what Ecclesiastes 3 tells us is that life is a lot like Legos. Only I, I wish that life came with a warning label that explained some assembly required. Uh, but life is a lot like Legos, right? It's got a bunch of like what seems to be randomly like selected parts and pieces that somehow is supposed to fit together to create a life. Only there's one really, really big difference between a Technic kit of Legos and life. Life doesn't come with one of these babies. I mean, look how thick this is. This is step-by-step instructions to put 905 pieces of that Lego kit together. We don't get that for our lives. Now, it's, it's true, and I want to be clear on this. God gives us some instruction on how to build a life. We get enough instruction to know like kind of like how to build a life, but we don't get like the step-by-step aspects of things because in reality, think about this, right? How often is it that you are walking through life and God hands you another piece, another part, and you look at him and just go, God, (laughs) what am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) Right, when God hands you the news of a lost loved one that you weren't expecting, or you were holding out hope for this promotion, but you didn't get it. Or maybe on the opposite side of things, this opportunity that just fell in your lap when you weren't looking for it. Or a diagnosis you didn't seem coming. How often is it, right, that, that you're handed something from God and go, I don't know what to do with that. Our lives are the sum of many parts. Some are good, some bad, and there's many in between And I can only imagine the frustration and the tears that would flow from my son only having this picture of it. And then looking at all the parts and trying to put it together. And no doubt you felt that too in life. You felt the frustration of trying to put together a life. Maybe even have cried tears trying to make sense of it all. I just want to encourage you today that if that's something that you can relate to, the author of Ecclesiastes can as well. 
And what he wants to do is he wants to lead us from a place of frustration this morning to a place of firm ground. And what he does is he doesn't offer us the solution of giving us this, but he gives us something way better. And so if you have your Bibles open, I want to start in verse one as we start working through our text. And it's likely you've heard these words out of Ecclesiastes before. If you've been to funerals, things like that, these are very popular verses. But I'll start right in verse one that there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. And I want to pause. I'm not going to do this very often here in reading these first eight verses. Just pause for a second. Because he states right away a very important black and white truth for us to understand today. Life is temporary. And these two things, birth and death, serve as the bookends for everything in our temporary lives. So everything that, that comes... From this point on in this text with these, this poem here fits within birth and death. These are the bookends. Life is temporary. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill, which the word there is not murder, but it's like, you know, sometimes in the realities of, of life and war, the line of duty, right? There's, there's killing that takes place. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Hoarders, underline that. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Doesn't it seem like those words would make for a a great song? You know what I mean? You ever heard this one? Right? Billboard, number one song in 1965, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. Come on, can we turn it up just a little bit, Tim? Come on, people, listen to the lyrics here, though. Thank you, Timmy. Good job, everybody. All right, who in the room remembers that song? All right, everybody turn around and look. Those are the hippies in the room. I know what you did in the 60s. I got you. Busted. Right, but that that song became like an anthem for the flower children, for the the hippie movement in the 1960s, because there was something about those words that resonated with a young generation. The words of Ecclesiastes were relevant to them, and I believe they're relevant for us today, but they're relevant for them. There was a restlessness in that generation that believed that the solution for everything in their life, that restlessness that was within them, that echoes from Ecclesiastes, the solution was peace, love, and drugs. 
If you know anything about history, though, this great restlessness that began in the 1960s led to a great movement of God in the 1970s. Because as a generation, a young generation placed their faith in the gospel of peace, love, and drugs, it came back as an empty well. That's what they discovered. And that empty well led them in desperation to Jesus. If you... uh, follow, you know, like movies and things like that, you know, like Jesus Revolution came out this past year, kind of highlights like part of that story. But life is often cyclical and history has this way of repeating itself. And sadly, we don't often learn from history, from those who have gone before us that can say, hey, I went that direction, I tried it, it doesn't work. Every generation, sadly, somehow needs to figure it out for themselves. But I found myself, as I heard another pastor teaching through this text, just, just praying for the generation that we are within, that as this generation goes out and seeks so many counterfeit cures for what ails them, this restlessness that is within them, as they read Ecclesiastes and they resonate, these words resonate with them, that they would recognize all these counterfeit cures are just empty wells and will turn to Jesus. And that in our day and age, there will be a great restlessness that leads to a great movement of God. That as we grapple with this great restlessness that's within us, that we'll recognize that another drink, another job, another relationship, another cause, another look deeper into ourselves and just being true to who I am will never satisfy. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. That's my prayer. Church, would you pray for me as well for this next generation? discover empty wells and turn to Jesus. In these first eight verses, there's 14 different contrasts, polarities that are made, 28 different seasons of life that are listed out here. And it reminds us that there is a time for everything. If you're taking notes, that's like point number one of like four points today. But there is a time for everything. Every person who has ever walked the face of the earth, whether they're rich or poor, powerful, weak, famous, or forgettable, has both enjoyed building something new and tearing down something old, has known both the pains of conflict and the comfort of peace, has both danced at a wedding and mourned at a funeral. And you can labor your whole life to like insulate yourself from these realities of the world. It doesn't work This too is meaningless in a pursuit of the wind. No matter who you are, these seasons, all of them, are inescapable and unavoidable. And speaking of the inevitability of all of these seasons, Arnold Schwarzenegger says this, and I think this gives words to what I mean by this. He wrote this, I have always been extremely angry about the idea of death. It's such a waste. I know it's inevitable, But what the blank is that? Your whole life, you work, you try to improve yourself, save money, invest wisely, and all of a sudden, poof, it's over. Death angers me more than ever. So here's kind of the first kind of fork in the road moment for us this morning in this text, is you got a couple of choices here. You can... See these words here, and, and, and my challenge to you is to say, what, what's going on here is, he's telling us, seasons are inevitable. 
unavoidable. The good, bad, and everything in between, you will experience them all in this temporary life that you have here. And that can either lead you to just absolute frustration because we want to be in control. We want to know every season that's coming our way. We want to be in control of every season that's coming our way. We can either get frustrated by that reality or we can choose a different path. The author of Ecclesiastes, he's not a pure pessimist. He's going to point us to a better way. Here's verse 9. He says this, What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate. My Bible has a footnote to the letter K down at the very bottom of that page. He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. Here's the second point I want to make today. Uh, There's a time for everything. Seasons are inevitable, unavoidable. But God has made every season beautiful in its own way. God has made every season appropriate in its own way. Every season of life that we walk through, whether we describe it as good, bad, fun, discouraging, the active seasons or the waiting seasons, every season is beautiful in its time and our call is to be faithful in every season. As the great theologian Nick Saban once said, that's a joke. For those who don't know, Nick Saban's a football coach at Alabama. So like, don't like write this down and Google him later and think that I actually think he's a great theologian. That was a joke. So, uh, but I love this line though, because one of the things he tells his players is he tells them this simple truth. He goes, be where your feet are. That's essentially what we should be taking from these verses here. Seasons are inevitable, but God has made every season beautiful. And the call for you in life is to embrace every season and to simply be faithful. Be where your feet are. Scott spoke to this last week, and I want to kind of build on this a little bit. Because we can become so discontent with the season that we find ourselves in that we never live. This is like a summary of a Blaise Pascal quote, but he said something like this. I just shortened it, but he said this. If we live in the past or in the future, we never live because we will always miss the present. If you live in the past or you live in the future, you never truly live because you will always miss the present. This is what godliness looks like in the world that we live in. It's for us to simply embrace each season as God hands it to us and be faithful with that moment, which means some days we will rejoice with those who rejoice and some days we will be grieving with those who are grieving. It means some days we will be tearing down and other days we will be building up. That means some days that we are silent and some days we will speak up. Some days that we will be throwing stones and some days that we'll be gathering stones. I mean, even that some days we will Love and some days we will hate. There is a place for righteous anger in our lives. Seasons are inevitable, but God has made them beautiful in their time. And so what I'd love to do is if like somehow we could like line up at the door and like one by one, I could just go, hey, what season are you in right now? And you could explain it to me and we could talk about it we could shepherd you through it as an elder team, whatever, that'd be great. But um, I'm just going to say something kind of like blanket across the crowd this morning. 
Because guys, I don't, I don't know what kind of season you're in. Maybe you're in a season right now that you're like, I don't want this one to ever end. Like I'm in one of those right now myself. Like you're in a season where it's like, I don't want this to ever end. If you're on the opposite side of that, where you're in a season where you're like, I can't wait for this to be over. I hate this. Let me just give you this just simple encouragement. If you find yourself in a difficult season today, know this, that God often seems to do his best work in the darkest seasons of life. And one of the things I don't wanna do as a people is I wanna be so discontent in the season that God has brought my way that I miss out on the gift that it's meant to be for me. And that's not to make light of your suffering, your circumstances, whatever. But this is one of those where I think you should cry out to God and say, God, continue to do a great work in me as you shape me in this season. Because every season's beautiful in its own way. And God has made it that way. But here comes another tension. Because we live in this temporary reality where seasons are inevitable and every season is beautiful in its own way, but yet there is within us just this gnawing drive, belief, confidence, restlessness that there is something more than this in life. And verse 11, as we continue on, tells us that God made us this way. Pick up the last part of verse 11. I just want to hit these, these words here that he has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work of God has done from the beginning to the end. This is what torments us, <laughs> is that we, we live in this broken world that's temporary and passing with this kind of random, seems like, assortment of Lego pieces that we're trying to put together and make a life. And yet in the midst of it all, God has hardwired us for a perfect eternity. And so we have this like internal homing beacon that constantly just alerts within us this isn't it. This isn't it. There's, there's more than this. There is more than this. And here's what verse 11 is telling us, that we want this bigger picture understanding. We want the assembly guide where we can see all the pieces of it. And we'll get some of that revealed to us in this life and maybe more in the life to come, but there'll never be any point where we have it all. There's going to be some aspect of this that'll always just kind of escape us. But there's one thing that we know for sure even though we don't know the details of everything, we know this for sure, that there is more to life than this. God has implanted that within our hearts to know that for sure. This isn't it. This isn't it. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. I love this. This is actually at like the tagline of like my emails that I, uh, and my email account says this, that if I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Church, as you interact with a world around you that needs Jesus, and you know that in God's sovereignty, the way that people find out about Jesus and hear about Jesus is that God uses people to tell other people about Jesus, right? So as you interact with a world around you that doesn't know Jesus, and you know that God uses people to tell other people about Jesus, and you know that God wants to use you to tell other people about Jesus, and you're terrified, 
I encourage here that you have never met someone who isn't longing for heaven. It doesn't matter what language they speak, what country they call home, what religion they claim, or what God they bow down to. Every person you have ever met and will ever meet longs for eternity. This is like the great like leveling field for evangelism, right? Like you can start with this knowing this is true, that as you interact with somebody, this is within them, that God has created every person with this internal compass that is pointing them back to him. They just don't know how to find him. This is the beauty of this text so far. Three key points. That seasons are inevitable. Every season is beautiful. And that eternity is undeniable. Undeniable. And here's the fourth reality. Verse 14. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been. And whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Maybe your Bible translation, like the, the words there read a little bit differently. If you're like, I don't understand what he's saying there. Just If you keep reading from that point on, just a little bit further in the text, what becomes abundantly clear is what he's referring to here is he's talking about judgment that's coming. Right, I said this before, right? History has a way of repeating itself. Life is kind of cyclical in here. But the reality is that God never changes. He always stays the same. And he will bring everything to account. That's what these verses are communicating to us. Life is cyclical, always changing in that sense, but really not. God is unchanging and he will bring everything to account. God will bring justice for the persecuted. He will make all the wrongs right so here's what we got to understand here in this fourth point. That judgment is unavoidable. Seasons are inevitable. Every season is beautiful. Eternity is undeniable. And judgment is unavoidable. We must understand this, church. This life is temporary, it's fleeting, it's passing. But what happens in this temporary life matters for eternity. It's an epic line out of Gladiator, right? From Maximus, what we do in this life echoes for eternity. There's a truth to that. Because what happens in this momentary life as we navigate the seasons of it matters for all eternity. Life is fleeting, but how we live in this moment matters for eternity. Because every person will face judgment. The big question is, which judgment? So you may not know this, there's actually, there's, there's two judgments as described in the Bible. One is a judgment, I would call it a judgment of condemnation. We read about this in Hebrews 9, 27. It says, it is appointed for people to die once, 
right? Everybody dies, 10 out of 10 people die, but it is appointed for people to die once and after this, judgment. This is a judgment where all those who have refused Christ, have refused to place their trust in Christ, will be judged and separated from God's people and be placed in a spot of eternal suffering and torment forever and ever. We call it hell. It's a judgment of condemnation. There's a second judgment, though. A judgment I would describe of commendation, right? And this is not for those who have trusted in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that judgment, we're not a part of that one if you trust Christ. But there's another judgment that we are a part of. This is what's spoken to by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this is a judgment where God's people, those who've trusted in Christ, will stand before him and be rewarded and judged based on how we were faithful in the seasons that God handed to us. Life with its seasons is temporary. Seasons are inevitable. God is at work in every season. Eternity is undeniable and judgment is unavoidable. Knowing that this life will pass so quickly, the simple question of are you ready for that judgment? Are you ready for that moment on the brink of eternity? Are you ready for that? If not, I just want to bring you back to verse 14. And I want to bring us back to particularly a word in here, but it says, second half of verse 14, that God works so that people will be in awe of him. I think when it comes to the word like awesome, right? Which is, is, is the word here, right? Like, that we would be in awe of God. We use the word awesome, like something that like, like we stand in awe of. I think we use that word too flippantly. It's like that, that ice cream cone was awesome, you know? Uh, yeah, that backflip was, was awesome. You know, like we, we use it so flippantly. Let me, let me tell you what's truly awesome, okay? Because God works so that people will be in awe of him. Here's what's truly awesome. The God of eternity stepped into our temporary and broken reality. And when he did that, he subjected himself to a sovereignly orchestrated season that his father set on him and he didn't deserve it, but was faithful with that season that his father handed to him, endured it faithfully so that we could place our trust in Christ and now spend eternity with the Father. That's awesome. Like you want to talk about something that's like truly awesome? That's awesome. God works so that people will be in awe of him. All of these things, all these realities that we live in, God is orchestrating all of them and moving in the midst of all of them so that we will stand back and be not in awe of ourselves, but in awe of him. To recognize what he's done for us to place our faith in Christ. There's no work in that. There's just a recognition that I contribute nothing except for my sin. 
and I place my faith in Christ, and I am now reconciled with God. And the reality for me is eternity with the Father. Not a judgment of condemnation, but now a judgment of commendation as I continue to navigate the seasons of life and want to be found a good, faithful steward of all of life that God hands to me. That's awesome. And I implore you today that if these words of Ecclesiastes are resonating with you, and you feel the temporary reality of this world and these seasons that you're navigating, know that there's a different path than frustration. But there is a one, a firm ground. See, it would be great if we had one of these for life. Life can be incredibly difficult navigating without one of these. It's difficult to wake up on a day and not know if that day will end with crying or laughing. We don't know. We'll never know. We'll never have the full step-by-step assembly instructions for our life, but we have something better. We know the God who does. That if we could choose between having the assembly instructions or having God, what would you choose? Because what Ecclesiastes is offering us is, I believe, something better. That we may not know all of these things, but we know the God who does. And we know that in every season, these four things are true. That God orchestrates every season of our lives. That he is in every season, he's laboring for our good. That what is fleeting will one day be swallowed up by the eternal and that the best is yet to come for those who have trusted in Christ. Knowing these things changes everything for us. I skipped over a few verses, and I want to go back to them. But Ecclesiastes 3, just look at verses 12 and 13 now with me. Because knowing this, knowing the God who knows everything and orchestrates every season and labors for our good, and that what is fleeting will be swallowed up someday by the eternal, and that the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ, makes this reality true. Verse 12 and 13, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also a gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. See, the writer of Ecclesiastes is not some like fatalistic author going, hey, since it's all going to burn, let's just party till we die. That's not his mindset. His mindset is not, it's all going to burn, party till you die. It's Trust God and enjoy life. The simple truth of all of Ecclesiastes 3 is simply this, that a right relationship with God is the only way to enjoy life in the present. Like if you want joy, church, if you want eternal joy, and I'm not just talking about when I say eternal joy, like I'm talking about just future joy. I'm talking about if you want joy, eternal joy, future joy, and like present joy, there's only one way to get it. And it's not in chasing after the things that shift and change with the seasons. And it's not with trying to know all of the seasons that are gonna come or trying to control all the seasons that are gonna come. You can't do it. Joy is found in trusting in the season maker and trusting in the architect of all of time, 
and trusting in a good and faithful God who is good and faithful in every season. The message of Ecclesiastes is a gift of grace because it tells us not to wear ourselves out, anxiously striving for things that cannot and will never satisfy. He just keeps pointing to the God who is. Here's what you can have today, church. You can have a right relationship with God, and that is what gives you a firm ground to enjoy all of life, every season of it, the ups and the downs, because you know the God who's in control, and you know that the best is yet to come. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for being so good and so abundantly awesome. And I now reserve that word. I'm not gonna use that flippantly. I wanna use it only in describing you, that we would serve you and celebrate you with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling, as Psalms 2 tells us, because we see what you've done, that the God of eternity stepped into our momentary reality and purchased for us a better future. And so, Lord Jesus, we don't know what tomorrow will bring or the day after that or the day after that. But I'm so grateful that I have something infinitely better. I have you. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in the room this morning that has found dry wells in this life and is yet to find you, that this morning that they would place their trust in you, that right now, they would pray out in their hearts a prayer of faith, clinging to you, the hope that is in you and you alone, that the great restlessness today would be satisfied in the God who satisfies. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.